Hey y'all, this is Amy. And this is Meg. And we are 1096 Crime Chicks. Welcome back. I know. It's been a hot minute. It's been a hot minute, but we've been busy for a hot minute. Very, very busy. All the holidays. Amy I moved. Yeah. Yeah. It's been crazy. Yeah. But we're back. Yay. And we're going to talk about a really fun case. I say fun. It's <laughs> <This is> blast. <laughs> It's a very interesting case. It's really one of my favorites. Yes. I say that almost every time, but I'm super interested in this case. Yes. So do you want to inform the math? I would love to. So uh, this is the David Temple case. So there was, uh, he was actually on trial just this summer, but I'm not going to get up ahead of myself. But the David Temple case, David is the presumed murderer in this scenario. So. David was married to Belinda Temple. Belinda Temple was the one that was murdered. So I'm actually going to tell you a little bit about Belinda first. So Belinda was born in Ohio, a city called Martins Township in Ohio, in December 1968 to a middle-class family. She had three big brothers. Clearly, they're all B names, Brian, Barry, and Brent. And her mom said she assumed she was having another big baby boy when she went into labor. So she goes into labor, you know, they rush her to the hospital and she has a baby girl who they decide to name Brenda. Catch this. Brenda's 8-1. So like a giant baby, not giant, a really big baby. Mm -hmm. Brenda's born. And they're like, oh, wait a minute. She's still in pain. And they're like, oh, wait a minute. You have another baby in there. Holy mess. Yes. So then she starts contracting again and she births Belinda. So, and Belinda was like in the sixes. So this lady was pregnant with four, over 14 pounds of baby and just thought, oh, having another big baby. Right. Twins. So I've had twins twice for what it's worth. And a twin pregnancy is so much harder than a singleton pregnancy. And I haven't even had 14 pounds of babies. So I'm clueless how she didn't suspect something. Right. Anyway. I love that their names are Brenda and Belinda. Yes. Twins, <laughs> Brenda and Belinda. So anyway, so had Brenda and Belinda. This is before dads were allowed in the delivery room. So the nurse went out to the waiting room to tell their father, Tom, that the mom actually just had two baby girls. But he said he was so excited. He hooped and hollered. They were hoping for a girl and they got two. So he was super excited. Family done. No, yeah, done so. They were done with five all B names. So anyway. Wow. And you know those girls were totally watched over by their big the brothers. The stars of the family. They dressed them in matching clothes while they were little. Like, I'm sure they were obviously the center of attention. Fun. Brenda and Belinda. Yeah. So the Lucases. That's Belinda's family. Right. Belinda Lucas, yes. They moved to Nacogdoches, Texas. Home of Stephen F. Austin. Yeah. I went there for one whole semester, but I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> they moved there in the mid-70s due to a job change for Tom, yep. the dad. Belinda was a great athlete, and she excelled at softball and basketball in high school. She graduated in 1987 and already knew what she wanted to study in college, which was to be a teacher and a coach. Yep. Initially, she stayed at home and went to a local community college, but of course, you know, after a while, she's like, I want out. Apparently, she and her dad clashed a lot. Yeah. She was tired of having to follow their rules and, you know, curfew, you know, all the things. 
So she moved out and transferred to Stephen F. Austin. She worked three jobs to support herself, which more power to her. Yeah, Belinda was busy. Right. She worked at Brookshire Brothers teaching aerobics oh. and at the SFA farm yep. where she and her twin sister Brenda lived. Brenda was going to SFA on an FFA scholarship. Okay. So she actually lived at the SFA farm as part of her scholarship. So she got Belinda a job there at the farm as well. Oh. Help, yes, just to so help, help with, with the livestock. Yes, just to help with livestock and stuff. Huh. Yeah. So Belinda had a serious boyfriend at the time, but when she found out that he cheated on her, mm-hmm. no offense, but that's so common these days. Right. She quickly broke things off with him. Many of her friends... She just... Her friends were just like, Belinda would never put up with that crap. Right. Like, there's no way that Belinda is going to keep dating a cheater right and she always wanted a family she wanted to date obviously so she could see herself marrying and having kids with the right guy right so this is where she met david mark temple there at stephen f austin they met at sfa they did and if any of you don't know anything about nacogdoches it is absolutely beautiful it is beautiful east texas piney woods my sister-in-law lives there it is so pretty and their family yeah shane and my husband they also went to sfa for a year really Mm -hmm. i loved it i just had a very very bad accident yeah i remember yeah moving home okay so david temple grew up part of an old Katie family in Katie, Texas. Family had his family lineage in Katie could be traced back to the 1800s. So like his grandparents, his great grandparents, they were all from the Katie area. And he's pretty. Katie is pretty. Katie's right outside of Houston, if you don't know that. So there were three boys. David was the middle brother. So their entire big, big, big extended family lived on lots cut out of his great uncle's rice fields. So Katie used to be well known for rice fields and his great uncle apparently had like 100 acres. And so they literally split the lots up and the whole extended family lives out there on. I know they live out there, but it's super pretty. Like Katie Hockley Road is well known. It's I mean it's an exit off of the highway up there, and it's all right off of Katie Hockley Road. So oh yeah, yeah. I know where that is. Yes, that's where that's where all this uh-huh. land is, and where the extended Temple family lives. Wow. So, yes. So not wealthy. None of them were. None of them were wealthy. They just you know had land and were able to buy homes, but. Not wealthy, but many people, they were still really well-known in town just because they had been there so long and had a really good reputation. Parents' names are Ken and Maureen, and people always described them just as salt of the earth. His dad worked in computers and also was an ordained Baptist minister. He didn't work as a minister, but he was ordained, and they were definitely well-known around the first Baptist Katie. Mm-hmm. And then people always likened Maureen to Aunt Beyond the Andy Griffith. So they Aww. said, I know. So they said, like, if anybody stopped by, she would offer pie and coffee and just was well known, you know, loving to entertain and hostess and serve up pot and coffee to anyone who wanted to drop by. So well known and well liked in Katie. They had an acre and a half behind their home there on Uncle on Great Uncle's rice fields and all the brothers grew up hunting back there. And Katie was known for bird hunting and wanted David's close friends who testified said about 75% of the guys they went to school with had shotguns and went dove hunting. I mean, in that part of town or in this part of town, like, it's so normal. Yeah. Yes. 
Well, I mean, Texas in general, and I know that a lot of people on many, many podcasts that I've listened to, they're like, well, it's very common right. to hunt in Texas, which is 100% the truth. Mm-hmm. And Katie is far enough out of Houston. Yes. They're on rice fields, like acres of rice fields. Right. Yes. So, I, I mean, nowadays, I couldn't think that it would be great hunting area because it's grown right. so much out there. Right. But back then. Out of the country. Yeah. 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 Just super super normal but that is one thing you know they'll talk about that he did know how to handle a gun and stuff but certainly for boys who were teenagers in the 1980s living on rice fields it was not abnormal for them to have shotguns and like go bird hunting or whatever so you want to hear something really funny please tell me christy my sister when she and her now husband kyle were dating we had gone to houston to go visit family and he was dove hunting with his brothers Uh And I will never forget, we went to the grocery store and bought him some dove candies. And when we came back, she said, I went dove hunting. Oh, I got you some dove. (laughs) So my son, Colin, he likes to hunt anything, but he kills squirrels in my backyard. But with a pellet gun. And so pellet gun, it's not like a, you know, it's not a firearm. Correct. So you're allowed to use it like in just in the neighborhood. So he kills squirrels and actually like cooks them in the crock pot and We've actually like eaten, put crock pot like squirrel and barbecue sauce in our crock pot and like with our chicken breast and have eaten it. Is it good? It's fine. It's like a dark meat. Is it? Does it taste like chicken? Uh huh. Like dark, <laughs> like dark meat chicken or dark meat turkey or any dark. Right. Meat. It's not gamey. Mm-hmm. Like no one would really think of eating a squirrel, but you totally can. So he read all up on like how to cook squirrel whenever he started shooting him, and they said crock pot was the best way, so he can like shoot, skin, and cook a squirrel for us. That is so yeah. crazy. He's I mean, that's, yeah. he's so smart. He's Tim. So with all of that to say, <laughs> kids, he didn't use a shotgun, but nonetheless, not too abnormal for boys in Texas to grow up hunting. So just like Belinda, David was an athlete and he grew up to be a standout football player for the Katie High Tigers. And he, I mean, if you look at pictures and I know we always say we'll post pictures and we always forget, I will make sure we get uh-huh, pictures uh-huh. because you can tell even now he's big. He was a football player. Yeah, he's big. Right. So and cute in high school. Oh yeah. I handsome. mean, he's still handsome yeah, now. Yeah. I mean, he was handsome. Big neck, big, yeah. big football player. His friend said even in the early years when they were just playing football for fun, it was always different for him. Mm-hmm. Sounds so much like Connor and Cameron, my nephews. I mean, yeah, and they it, live and breathe it. Just so many of these things, I think, they were like, he's always so aggressive on the field. Mm-hmm. He was a hunter. And, like, you just, he lived in Texas. Yeah. That's not. It's the norm. Yeah. Because, again, that, hunting and football. Yeah. Those things but, are not really character assassination. They're just. Exactly. Texas right boy things so anyway so he was always out to win yep interestingly at the same time Renee Zellweger was a cheerleader yep Renee cheered for David Temple isn't that crazy very very crazy David was definitely known as a big man on campus probably literally and figuratively and enjoyed the attention of many girls as most star athletes do I wonder if he dated Renee I don't know I've never heard as much no maybe casually yeah they both were voted like in the most blah 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 category so Mm -hmm. he was like best athlete and she was like most I don't know attractive or whatever yeah all their pictures were on yearbook pages kind of together in those you know they were in the same circles I think huh so he had a couple different girlfriends and he would Kind of switched between the girls. Yes, these two girls. Until one of them finally said, you know what, I'm done. 
And once she rebuffed him, he got angry and he started calling her names and instructing his friends to do the same. So, I mean, uh, it, like, I don't know. I feel like so much of this story, I mean, it's true. His girlfriend said this happened. I believe her. It's not that. But where is the line drawn between, like, it's a stupid 17-year-old who likes two different girls and is ugly to one of them who broke up with them to, yeah, all of these patterns of behavior right. and a murderer. It's just hard to know. It's, it's hard to know. Typical high school. Right. It's just hard to know. Right. If, if anything was really amiss at that time and anything was really wrong with his character or if he was just a high school kid. Right. Hard to tell. So one night, this girl. The girlfriend that he re rebuffed. Yes. Right. Yeah. Uh, her family found that their pet rabbits were missing, and a friend told them David had wrung their necks. Yeah, had killed their rabbits. Which is very sad. And again, if you look at the McDonald triad, people would be like, oh, well, that's just a sign. Animal killer. Yes. And again, though, that was unsubstantiated. No one ever said at trial. No one ever right. testified at trial that he did that. Mm -hmm. It was just someone told her. Someone just said, oh, actually, I think David, or David murdered your rabbits. I heard David murdered your rabbits. So again... Couldn't even be brought up at trial, but something right. to think about, like you said, um, you know, animal killers, you know. So other kids at school who were kind of not part of David's, you know, upper echelon circle also described him just always ready for a fight, always acting like he was better than others, kind of a bully. But again, I mean, is this fairly normal for top athletes in high school? Right. I mean, and he was obviously like this, one of the star players of the football team. Oh, he absolutely was. So... Obviously, a really, really good 5A football team. Not, we're not talking like a little country school. I mean, Katie still has like best football in the state. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, obviously, you're going to be looked upon from others as being this amazing person, right. and that's going to make your ego. You feel a really cool 17 year old. Yeah. yeah. So again, I mean, no telling, you know, how much that really assassinates his character at the time or whatever, but. So anyway, they describe him like this. Another interesting story, not interesting, I mean, kind of scary story from David's high school years involved his brother, Darren. So Darren's the big brother, and he had a serious girlfriend at the time named Cindy Thompson, and Cindy spent a lot of time with the Temple family, and she said that one night, Darren showed up at her house really, really upset, and she said that David had gotten really disrespectful with their mom, Maureen, and so Darren stepped between them. And at that point, David turned his anger from Maureen to Darren and eventually grabbed a shotgun and held it in Darren's face. And wow. Darren and Maureen both begged David to put the gun down. And eventually he did and just stormed out of the room. And so this story was brought up at trial. Cindy did tell this story at trial. But Darren and Maureen both said it didn't happen. And it's so hard. I mean, it's just so hard. Like, why would Cindy lie about that? That's a super weird story to make up. But, I mean, anyone and Katie are still, people still talk about, you know, Maureen and Ken in particular, but Darren too, like, they, they're not criminals. They have always exhibited good character that other right. people, you know, they've held good jobs. They're not known as shady people in town or liars or anything like that. So, you don't know. I mean, you don't know if that story is true or not. Right. And were they trying to protect him? Right. I mean, yeah. Absolutely. It could go either way. And absolutely. A family, yes, absolutely a family would want to protect their son right. from life in prison and would deny. So anyway, but that's another story. And I do think there's a lot of stories like that about David Temple that we'll talk about that, 
you know, maybe one of them, you'd be like, that's made up. But then you have to be like, did 15 people really make up these crazy stories? You know what I mean? Like eventually when there's enough stories, I think what has happened is they do become believable. But anyway, so that is a story about David from high school as well. And then there was one more time that he really got in trouble in high school. He's actually arrested with one of his other football friends for stealing and reselling radar detectors. And back then they call those fuzz busters, but you know, you put it up, like you put them up on your dashboard or whatever. And they let you know when there's a policeman in the area with a um, like a radar detector to see how fast you're going. So anyway, some of the football team members were stealing them and reselling them. And David and a friend got caught, got arrested, made the newspaper, and it totally embarrassed the whole big giant Temple family. Right. So well-known and well-regarded in town. So David pleaded guilty to a class A misdemeanor, was sentenced to three days in jail, and a whopping $100 fine. So right. He did have a bit of a criminal record, but he was still a minor, so I'm sure. But it also makes you think, three days in jail and a $100 fine, he was obviously the star of the football team. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Who else would have gotten off with that, that light yeah. of a sentence? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that probably, yeah, I'm sure his family's good name, and I'm sure the star of the football team could probably get away with a little bit more. Right. So if you're, we're going to go back to football. David made the varsity football team his sophomore year, which is a big deal. For a really big school. Right. Really big school. But then he hurt his knee so badly, it required two surgeries. He worked hard and came back. But between that and his smaller stature, so he was 5'11 and 280 pounds. Yeah. Which to I, me is not so small. it's not small at all, but short. Apparently, most like bigger, bigger schools that he wanted to go to said he was too short. Right. His dreams of getting a D1 football scholarship were crushed, but he did get a full ride to SFA to play football. Yeah. And like I said, SFA. Axum Jets. Yeah. Axum. So beautiful. I mean, SFA actually, it's a Division One. Two A football program. So I mean, we're not talking about you know a little bitty potent school or, or football team. They traveled by plane to their away games. They generally played in front of about fifteen thousand fans. So I mean, he still was playing football and known as a football star. So apparently in Nacogdoches, he was well known. It was his face that was on all of the big like SFA posters that had their schedule on them and all the stores and restaurants in town. So right. he was still really well known in Nacogdoches. Ken and Maureen would come to all of his games and wear purple and, you know, scream Yay. for Kevin. Yeah, yeah, not Kevin. Sorry, that is, he has a brother named Kevin for David. So anyway, so David's junior year, he actually led the team to their first Southland Conference title in their 63-year history. So the Southland Conference is just like the Big 12 or the SEC or right. whatever. They're the Southland Conference. So uh, they won their first title in 63 years. He got a big gold ring for one of the conference titles. So, I mean, it was a pretty big deal. And he was still a standout player like he had been in high school. So many teammates remember David as having quite a temper. You know, I just wonder, too, this is going to come out probably the wrong way, uh-huh. but he played football. Big guy. Steroids. Not necessarily, I mean, it could be steroids, but even this, like, how they're talking about Aaron Hernandez had the... Oh, oh the CTE, yeah, thing. CTE, yes. It just makes you wonder yeah. if athletes, I mean, yes, absolutely, steroids make you angry, too, but could, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean... Who knows? Yeah, who knows? who knows? And Catherine Casey has a book out, Shattered, that we both read and that contributed some of this information, but... 
And she does talk about steroids. Everyone that he played high school ball with and college ball denied seeing him ever use steroids. A lot of people like used together, used in the locker room. And so everyone always denied ever seeing him use steroids. But they said that kind of everyone did back then in the late right. 80s and how big he came back post-injury that there was some suspicion, but that really everyone did. And so they right. wouldn't have been surprised. But no one ever said, yes, we saw him use steroids. And as high school coach said, he worked his butt off to come back from that injury. And the, all the coaches were like, no, we just saw him work his butt off for nine months. He couldn't play the whole year. And so yeah. his upper body got really, really strong while his knee was hurting. So with all of that to say, there's no evidence that he did steroids, but I don't think it would be surprising. Well, and, you know, you also hear, too, that some people that fly off the handle at the drop of a hat are better football players because that's what gets them yeah. mad enough to you can turn your and, anger yeah. or your temper to <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 so there was a rumor that he showed up at a local bowling alley only to be told they were closing so he beat up the employee that told him yep they were closing yep again, again rumor <laughs> rumor but story yeah. right during his sophomore year he began dating a pretty co-ed named pam Inglekirk. yeah they dated very seriously, and Pam became close to David's family. Everyone thought that they would get married. They perused jewelry stores together, looking at wedding rings, and their friends jokingly called Pam Mrs. Temple. Yeah. Pam does recall seeing David's anger come out at times, but said they would usually only argue, and he would become angry if they had both been drinking. Yeah. <laughs> like if they went out to parties, he would right. get mad eat more easily. Yeah. Right. She recalls him punching a wall, kicking her car, mm -hmm. and punching a mirror in a restroom. So that's a lot of anger. Like, yeah, oh, separate yeah. Separate instances. She remembers after he had drank, they were yelling, so he, like, kicked his car or, like, yeah. punched a mirror in. And she did testify to this at trial, so, mm -hmm. yeah, obviously. And, I mean, again, I'm not, I'm not condoning what he did, but at least he didn't kick or hit her. Well, and, I'll, I mean... I'll probably talk about this more later when it comes to the trial. But again, a lot of this anger that he's exhibiting or beating up bowling alley people, if that happened or any of this stuff, means that he had a really bad temper, but he wasn't mad at Belinda. They weren't like fighting. She wasn't the type that would have like, and the crime just did not happen in a way that they probably like got in a fight and he murdered her. Right. It was, it was kind of, does that make sense? Yeah. 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 But I mean... Again, that kind of goes back to that, like, he's not, again, like you were saying with the bowling alley, right. who knows if that happened, but every other thing is just showing him getting angry right. in general. A rage of passion, but there was nothing to say that, like, that was, that's what the murder looked like. If he did murder her, it would, it had to have been a little bit premeditated, right, with Evan at the time and some different stuff like that. So he didn't, if he did murder her, it was not in a, in a fit of passion or anger like these instances were. Right. So I don't know how much these instances tie into the crime set. Anyway, one incident that did stand out that was kind of scary with David and Pam, it happened in Dallas. And they went to Dallas for a friend's wedding and Pam already was back in her hotel room for the night. She was in a room with friends and David was in a room with friends and David called her. He had been out drinking and he called her and wanted to come see her, but she was tired and said, no, don't come to my room right now. I'm tired. And the next thing she knew, he was pounding on the door of her hotel room with two of his friends. And David came at her and pursued her into the restroom, shoved her against the wall in the restroom and was screaming and cursing at her. He had given her this gold necklace and she ripped it off and threw it into the toilet when that happened. And Which I'm sure aggravated the situation. Yeah. <laughs> it did not make things better. But still, after a couple of days of apologizing, 
Pamper gave David and David promised that nothing like that would ever happen again. So she did say, and she did testify to this incident at trial. And she did say, like, you know, just in retrospect, she can't believe she would have stayed with someone and treated her like that. But that, you know, when you're young and in love and people say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you don't necessarily leave them forever. And she did say that he never attacked her physically. So he did push her into a wall, scream at her. She tore her necklace off, flushed it down the toilet. So I think their relationship was probably volatile on both, on both, on sides. both sides. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, he never physically hurt her, but he certainly, you know, had, a, had quite a temper and you know, a pro promise that would never happen again. So um, doesn't it always I, I mean, any, any abuser, any any cheater in general, not always, but I mean, people always say it'll never happen again, and then it happens. Yeah, yeah. I'm a little burned, if you can't tell. So yeah, it'll never happen again. Yeah, happening again. So they, I mean, they were dating really seriously. Ham would go home with David at holidays, stay at the Temple's house, got to be close to Darren's girlfriend. Like they were, they were, they were serious. So. They were still dating really seriously, and Pam got word for one of her friends that she had seen David out with another girl one night. So Pam confronted David about it, and he said, yeah, but it was nothing, I promise, and said he professed his love to her, and they spent the day together, and Pam offered to make a picnic lunch just for the two of them for the next day. They were going to have a little day date. So the next day, Pam picks the picnic lunch, and she waits all day to hear from David. She doesn't hear from him all day. He finally calls her at 9 o'clock at night, says he needed a break from the relationship. And Pam was blindsided and devastated. I mean, she thought she was going to marry him, and it was over. I mean, that's a crappy situation, but again, it's probably a pretty common you know, right. the yeah. for college students who break up. Which is Absolutely. It's a college breakup. The reason for the breakup and the other girl that they saw David out with was Belinda Temple. Imagine that. Imagine that. <laughs> so David and Belinda were both athletes, like we said earlier. Yeah. They fell for each other pretty quickly and pretty hard. Yep. His parents fell in love with Belinda, and his father, Ken, recalls meeting her and saying he quotes, fell for her hook, line, and sinker. Which can sound gross, but he is literally the sweetest, like, Baptist minister. And yes. He had three sons. They had never really had, like, a girl around the house. And she just, they said she was so vivacious and these sparkly eyes and bouncy and cheering for him at football games. And he was just like, we fell in love with her. Like she Absolutely. Was, said we would have done anything for her that we would have done for a naturally born daughter. Like, we fell for her immediately, so... Right. So while dating Belinda, David seemed easier to get along with and his wild side seemed to be tame. Yeah. People said he calmed down a lot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No one recalls hearing them fight or seeing David treat badly, you know, anything like yeah. that. Everyone was happy and David seemed to be maturing. Belinda's family was happy that she was in love with a quote unquote Southern gentleman. And soon enough, this Southern gentleman went to Belinda's father, Tom, and asked his permission to marry his daughter. And, of course, this impressed her father and was happy to say yes. Yeah. Because nowadays, you don't see that very often. Yeah. They said they were really impressed with him. He was, you know, polite and asked for permission. And he had no problem saying, sure, you can marry Belinda. Right. They, so David proposed to Belinda very very fancily. So he took her to the 50 yard line at the SFA football field and all of his friends, he had all of his, 
football player friends like park their cars and like in a, a perimeter, like in a circle around the 50 yard line. And then when he like gave some hand signal or whatever, they all turned on their headlights, which shown then on David like down on one knee with a ring, which is so that's sweet. Cute. I know. I think that is so cute. I think that's a really sweet story. So anyway, that's how he proposed. And of course she said yes. And they got married at Belinda's church the North Street Church of Christ there in Nacogdoches over Christmas break in 91. So they were graduating in 92, but they didn't even want to wait like six more months. They were ready to get married. So right. they got married late 1991. They hadn't graduated yet, but they stayed in town for their final semester. And they both graduated with degrees in physical education. And then they decided to stay in Nacogdoches to work on their master's degree. They lived, obviously, Belinda's parents were in Nacogdoches as well, but they saw them really and frequently. And you'll see that thread through this story, but they rarely saw Belinda's parents. They rarely went home to see them. But her other siblings didn't really either. And even in interviews, her dad says, you know, after they grew up, they just kind of all, you know, flew the coop and never really came back. And like her brother and his wife never really went home to see them either. And so Tom was apparently dad. Some people say that he was kind of a hard head and was kind of unpleasant. And so while they didn't go see him much, her siblings didn't really either. And it wasn't, you know, necessarily right. David hating them that made them not go see them. Well, and it sounds like maybe they weren't the type of parents to have a close. Yes, this warm family. home that always has visitors in it and stuff like the temple. So I think right. it looks so crazy because it was so opposite the temple family but he admittedly he didn't really like them people heard him call them like white trash i mean he did not really enjoy time with his in-laws but they had a new year's eve party while they lived in town the parents did tom tom and Kara lucas did and david and belinda went to the new year's eve party and after that he never set foot in their house again so what happened? Obviously something happened. Nobody ever says anything happened. Like literally, I mean, maybe it did, but I think her parents would tell or someone would tell, like they think that he murdered their daughter. Now they believe that he's right. the murderer. So certainly they would tell if it was anything negative, but it, he just never went back. He oh. had short breaks from school. Mac wasn't very close to Houston. And sometimes they would meet halfway and they would eat at like a McDonald's and the kid, the parents would play with Evan or sometimes Belinda would take Evan to nap, but David never went back. So I do huh. think that is very weird. I can't imagine Shane never going to my parents' house again. But you're, I mean, does his mom live here? Whose mom? Shane's. No. She doesn't? No. But your parents are here. Yes. So it's, I mean, different. It would be, I guess, maybe if I didn't like go see you his mom. Something would have had, yeah, something would have had to have happened. But maybe, I mean, since her parents never said what happened, maybe her dad was a big fat jerk to David. And he was like, I'm True. never going to go see this dude again. Right. I mean, maybe they had words that nobody really thought was yeah. significant. Yeah. yeah. So it, it's unknown, but he, they were not close to Belinda's family. In, in particular, David did not really enjoy his in-laws, but I think that went both ways. So in a year in grad school, David, uh, Belinda graduated their master's. David was well on his way, didn't quite have his master's yet, but he got a call from one of his former Katie High football coaches offering him a job in a small town called Livingston, Texas. So obviously he had made a good impression on those coaches. They could trust him. Didn't think he was just a hot, uh, you know, that was untrustworthy. They're not going to hire, you know, a, 
a criminal or whatever to teach at their high school. So right. they hired him. Belinda got a job at the local middle school. So they moved to Livingston. And then after one year there, David got a job coaching football at Ailey Hastings High School, which is also in the Houston area. And they moved again, this time back to Katy, where remember all David's family is. Right. Um, and Belinda ended up teaching at David's alma mater, Katie High. The teachers, a couple of the teachers that she taught with, they remember David because remember David was only a student there like 10 years prior. Right. I mean, they had, you know, they had just got married. She was like, you know, they were in their early 20s. So the teachers had remembered David and kind of remembered that he was a jerk and a hothead. And no one was like, oh, David Temple, we loved him. But he was a jerk. Right. Yeah, that (laughs) is really what I think they thought. But again, he was a 17-year-old hothead football player. So... Anyway, yeah, so they're in Katy now, and they start going to the First Baptist Katy with David's whole family and meeting with the rest of David's family for Sunday lunch and just hop right back in rhythm with the whole Temple family. Yeah, which I think is really cool, but on the flip side, I think of, like, was he trying to get her away from her parents, yeah. too? You know? Absolutely. I mean, sure. who knows? Anyways, so on April 14th, 1995, David and Belinda had a son named Evan, mm-hmm. and he was adorable. I know. Still is. I his mean, hair. He looks like his dad. Yeah. Big neck like his dad. He was right. a high school a good standout high school football player, so right. very similar. By all accounts, both parents were smitten with Evan. They sent out birth announcements saying Evan was their, quote, first round draft pick. Aww, that is I know. so sweet and cute. I know. And their little linebacker. I know. So cute. It was about this time that Belinda began complaining to others that David would never go to Nacogdoches with her to see her family and that he discouraged her from taking Evan there frequently, which is kind of concerning. It is. It is. You know? Again, I mean, during this time, Belinda's brother Brian and his wife Jill, they were not going to Nacogdoches to see the Lucases, and they kind of talked about that together. So I think there has to be a reason why people weren't going back to not to really spend time with the, the Lucases, but again, still odd if he was encouraging her not to go back. Right. Uh, and, you know, because we are into the whole true crime genre, right. I just keep thinking he's isolating her away from her family. Right. He's not letting her go back. Yeah. Won't let her take the kids. I'm right. Like, yeah. You just look at a situation yeah, like that. Absolutely. This guy. You gotta dig into that more. Right. Absolutely. So many. Accounts generally from their friends Quentin and Tammy Harlan and Belinda's sister Brenda say that David was very critical of Belinda, saying things like she had a big butt or that she sure didn't look like the aerobics instructor he married. Newsflash. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> had a baby. Nobody's going to look had a baby. And yeah, but several people did hear him say just disparaging things to her. And that he kind of tried to say him in an air of being funny, but that it obviously, obviously really hurt her feelings when mm-hmm. he said stuff like that. Absolutely, yeah. He was also fastidious about keeping the house clean and the yard neat, though he didn't really help with it. Yes. He just told her she needed yes, to do it. Yes, absolutely. Neighbors remember Belinda frequently doing yard work, and David loves spending the weekends watching football. Yeah, so they would see Belinda out mowing the lawn, and David would be like drinking a beer and watching football. Yeah, loads of fun. Loads of fun. Unless maybe she wanted to mow the yard. I don't know. Yeah. Because people did always say Belinda didn't put up with crap. You know, like she'd be like, 
get your butt out and mow the lawn. Maybe right. she would be that. Or maybe she knew that he would just yell at her and put her down. And it was right. easier to just do what he said. Nobody knows. But. Yeah. Not dealing with it. Yeah. Nobody knows. But still interesting. David was also known for just wearing like name brand clothes, ironing his t-shirts, showering three times a day. He was really insistent that Evan wear name brand clothes. They said back then it was like Tommy Hilfiger, you know, yeah. like all yes. the Yes. Um, Do you remember Jabot? Absolutely. I remember <laughs> Jabot. I got Jabot maybe seventh or eighth grade. I had this cute Jabot jeans. Like, yes. I to school. But so cute. That Belinda told a story one time. She picked Evan up at daycare and I'm not Belinda told it. The daycare teacher told this story. The daycare, a couple of the daycare workers testified at trial. And they said Evan at school had had a potty accident while he was potty training. And the school kept, you know, just spare clothes at the school, old hand-me-downs in case the kid didn't have any dry clothes. If they had an accident, they could put him in. So they put him in just some frumpy, you know, T-shirt and shorts till Belinda got there. And they said Belinda was like, Evan, we've got to run and buy you clothes and not take you home like this. Or your dad's going to have a fit if he sees you in these clothes. I think that's super weird. Like, and, Honestly, a little telling. Yeah. Super That's... weird. I know. Like Shane won my husband. He could what he first of all, he wouldn't even notice what a kid came up for. Yeah. But two, he would probably dress my kids in that kind of crap. And I would right. be the one like, put him in the scrap. Put him in something cuter. So anyway, I think that's a super interesting story. So yeah, so super fastidious about the way he looked, his house, his yard, and how Evan looked as well. And I think this is weird when the people friends said that when the three of them would go out and drive somewhere to dinner or something, that Belinda would drive and David would usually sit in the back seat next to Evan's car seat. He didn't want David uh Evan to have to sit alone. Isn't that weird? That's weird. I mean, that's kind of like, which is understandable. When a new mom comes home with the baby, she's the way home from the hospital, which is understandable. Yeah. But this is a child that is clearly old enough to be sitting back there by himself. My dad sits in the back seat with my five year old, but it's a grandpa. He's a grandpa who's like smitten with their grandpa. Oh my gosh. Brilliant. 100%. I have seen your parents with her, and it is adorable. It's cute, but. I roll my eyes a bit. I just don't sit in the back seat with my five-year-old, but, you know, my dad can do it once. So, anyway, but David would sit in the back with Evan, and I, I thought that was just kind of odd, too. Hmm. So, in the spring of 88, not 88, 98, David and Belinda went through a rough patch in their marriage, so much so that Belinda told her coworkers they were not even speaking. Like, it was a really, really rough patch and her co-workers let her know that divorce was not the worst thing in the world and maybe she would be happier no longer married to David. They just tried to be like, you know, if you're not speaking with him anyway, maybe that's the best thing for you and Evan. And she would not hear of it. And to their surprise, a few months later, Belinda turns out pregnant. And and David said, too, they'd wanted a new baby. At that thing, they just kissed and made up and then decided to go ahead and have a baby. So they were getting along again, at least for a time. She is pregnant. They find out they're having a baby girl. They're going to name her Erin, Erin and Evan. And they were related. So uh, there were accounts of Belinda acting really, really excited about the new baby while David acted a little melancholy about it. There was a shelf that she kept bothering David to put up in the baby's room for months and months. And then finally she told friends she's just going to have to put the shelf up herself that David never got around to it. Her twin sister, Brenda, visited just prior to Belinda's death and said that 
their relationship was obviously strained. So nearing the end of this pregnancy, people are noticing that the relationship looks strained. Brenda said that David said something one word again about Belinda's big butt and poor Belinda's like, David, I'm pregnant. Like You gave her the big yeah, butt. <laughs> exactly. Your fault. One day, Belinda told, while Brenda was there, she heard Belinda tell David he just didn't seem excited about the baby. And she said David got really mad and threatened Belinda and just said, if you ever say that again, but then he didn't say anything else, but he was clearly tired of being told that he didn't seem excited about the new baby. Some people wondered if that was because it was a girl because he loved having a son so much and wanted a, you know, a football team of his own and just wasn't excited about a girl or wasn't excited about a new baby in general, but. Which is so funny because you look, or I look at things like, and I was not one, but you hear so much of daddy's girl. Right. You know? And I mean, I would, I would think like yeah, and dad gosh, would be ecstatic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Daddy, daddy. Yeah, you know? absolutely. So he was not, you know, other people didn't see him look super excited about it. Belinda had an OB appointment when Brenda was in town, and David didn't go with her to the appointment. Brenda did. Like he just, he just wasn't, you know, super. But I'll say, if like if I were living in a different town as my sister, and if I were having a child and she was in town, I would to be come. like. um, no, honey, you stay home. I'm yeah. <laughs> well, and frankly, I mean, Shane certainly did not come to all my obstetrics. You have uh, tons of appointments. Right. Nobody really goes to all the appointments. Right. But anyway, so Brenda said that Belinda just seemed exhausted throughout the whole trip, kind of sad, kind of melancholy. One, you know, the marriage was under some stress at that time. But two, she's like 35 weeks pregnant and has a three-year-old. I mean, right. of course she's exhausted. When the sisters were parting at the airport, Brenda said she had a really foreboding, just dark thought that this is the last time they were going to see each other. She said it really troubled her, but she thought this meant that the plane she was getting on might crash, and she was scared of a, of, of a plane crash, but never thought it would be anything happening to Belinda. But she had a total a, final yeah. destination. Yeah, moment. and they were twins. Yeah, they were twins. And yeah. She that was creepy. That is creepy. Foreboding. Mm -hmm. Huh. So, yeah, weird. So that day, New Year's Eve of 1998, David said he was leaving for a hunting trip with his friends. I'm just yeah. going to leave that right there because if it were me and I was with somebody and he said, I'm leaving, I'm going on a hunting trip without being like, hey, are you cool with me going? Yeah. Like you're pregnant and you, right. you have a three-year-old. Right. Are you cool with that? I mean, right. And he may have, but I don't know. I would say if I was told that my husband was going on a hunting trip and I was giant pregnant, I would be mad. If I was asked, She's not fixing to deliver. He he is saying he's just going a few hours away. I'd be like, yeah. I mean, yeah. Sure. I wouldn't make him stay. Home. And my well, first baby, maybe I would. Like, yeah. Pins and needles, but honest. Anyway, I don't right. Know. I don't know. I don't and know. I mean, and like you know, we kind of have in the notes. Like, what if she had said no? Like, what right. Then would exactly. Right. Exactly. So we're just talking about so he's going on a hunting trip uh-huh so we're talking about the hunting trip and david is going on a hunting trip new year's eve but he doesn't go on a hunting trip the hunting trip was a ruse oh That's transitioning into the affair gotcha. he was actually going to spend the weekend at his house yeah okay so he did not go nope back in the fall a new teacher named heather scott joined the staff at hastings ninth grade center she was young, thin, blonde, and turned several heads, including both David's and his co-worker, Quentin Harlan. Yeah. That's just an accident waiting to happen. Yeah, I know. They both emailed her throughout the day. 
they were, these emails were later brought to trial and would hang out with her after school at happy hours attended by several of the teachers, which to me is weird. Like, yeah. it's like a threesome yes. walking around. It's like, and these emails, there's tons of them. They, of course, got subpoenaed from all their computers, David, Quentin's, and Heather's. Tons of them. And they were super flirty, super, they were super inappropriate for teachers to be sending via work email. And men that were already married. But then David are both married. Right. And Heather clearly didn't mind that they were married and was happy to flirt with them. I mean, she's in her 20s. She's a young, hot thing. But, right. I mean, still gross. They're married, so you stay away. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, interestingly, Heather is a twin like Belinda. They both have twin mm -hmm. sisters. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. So, it was a flirtatious relationship between both men and Heather. But Quentin insisted it never went further than kissing. Not yeah, sure but Quentin, I believe it. No, I don't think I believe it. But he did fess up to kissing her. And, like, I mean, and his wife stayed with him. Like, she. Yeah, but don't she, get us started on that one. <laughs> you can go a little more yeah. about Quentin's wife later. But he did admit to a flirtatious relationship that never went further than kissing. Right. I do agree. I don't necessarily believe him. Yeah. Anyway. But David and Heather began to grow closer. Heather's roommate, Tara, testified that David was at their apartment many times, and sometimes he and Heather would go into her bedroom and shut the door. I wonder why. <laughs> David and Heather both admitted to saying, I love you to each other, just weeks before Belinda's death. Which, again, it's just, like, we're not trying to hide it. Like, it's right. out there. Right. That is just. Well, and in schools, like, I mean, don't these. There, everybody knows who the temples are in town. Like all these teachers at the ninth grade center see David with Heather all the time or at happy hours and they don't tell Belinda or, or at least there's not just a huge rumor mill going on. Like, right. What the well, heck? And not only that, but I mean, think about like she teaches ninth grade. These kids are old enough to see that right. something has got to be going on. Absolutely. Or three. In yeah. This case. That's a bold not bold's the wrong word. Ballsy. Very ballsy. <laughs> Very. Very ballsy for David and Quentin to be getting into such shenanigans. So Quentin testifies to a phone call just prior to Belinda's death where David asked him if he was willing to leave Tammy, to leave his wife, to be with Heather. And Quentin said no. By this point, Quentin and Tammy have three kids together. So Quentin says, no, I'm not. And he asked David the same thing. Are you willing to leave Alinda for Heather? And David's answer was, I don't know. He, hmm. he didn't know. So no one knows if Belinda knew about their relationship or not. No one ever heard Belinda say Heather's name specifically or anything like that. But many people said that for years, you know, David always, as a coach, came home late in the evenings, which is clearly normal for coaches. Everybody right. says during football season, you know, wives feel like single, single yeah. women or single moms or whatever. So she said, if I didn't know David better, I would suspect he was having an affair because he's never home. But she didn't seem super worried about it because she just know, knew I'm a coach's wife and all my friends that are coach's wives say the same thing, you know? Right. So, well, even like I have a friend that like has a boyfriend that's a coach and I don't know what he coaches, but... I mean, even when it's not in quote unquote in season, right. they're still going up right. there and training and well, they're and they're teaching classes during right. the day. They're grading papers. They're coaching. They're doing off right. season. They're then it's track season. Yeah, I mean, and I know like where Connor, my nephew, goes. Like he's in football, and then during the spring they have to do track and field. Yeah, exactly. And so 
Uh, I mean, I would think that it's the same coaches or at least those coaches are working with the track and field coaches. Yeah. So it's not like, and this is a big school like where our kids or my nephews, your kids go. So I'm sure it's kind of like that. He really was coaching all the time and gone all the time. And again, she never voiced any specific, I think he's having an affair with so-and-so or any specific concerns. Like, I really think David's having an affair. She just said, if I didn't know him better, he's never home. I don't think he's having an affair. So anyway, it's not, it's not really known if, you know, she had true suspicions about the affair. So that leads us to January 11th, 1999. Oh, makes me sick. I know. The whole story still makes me sick. So Belinda, David, and Evan wake up like normal that day, except Evan had become sick in the night with a fever. Belinda wanted to save all of her vacation days for when the baby came. So she gave him some Tylenol and went ahead and took him to daycare. As an aside, I think Belinda was a lovely lady. When people give their sick kids medicine and send them to daycare or school, you want to stretch them. It catches my eye. I know you want to save your time off, but you just went and made 30 other kids in pre-K sick. Anyway. Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, even me, like some of my coworkers yes. at work, because I don't have children, but like one of my coworkers in particular, you know, she gets irritated, which I totally understand. Sure. She's like, they don't have kids. I have a kid at home. Yes. And, you know, like. What happens if I get sick now? The kid gets sick, and my husband gets sick, and then we're all sick. Yeah, and yeah, it, it's just yeah. Shane said a coworker at work the other day came in and said he was diagnosed with the flu like the day before, but mm-hmm. he didn't have any time off. And Shane was like, "Well, shut my door on the way out. Right, don't come back today." <laughs> so uh, anyway, that's just an aside. I'm not saying anything bad about Linda. Just saying I hate it when people do that. So uh, she gives him Tylenol, sends him to school, and his daycare teacher said that he was really lethargic that whole morning, didn't eat his lunch, which was really unlike him. So they took his temperature around lunchtime, and it was a little bit over 100, so he had to go home. So it wasn't like 103 or anything like that, yeah. but their, their limit, I think, was 100.6, and it hit the limit, so he had to leave. So Belinda tries to reach David several times to go pick him up. Her coworkers remember her getting really mad that she couldn't get a hold of him and that she was going to have to leave work herself to go pick up Evan. So, I mean, unless they had talked during the day, like you're going to have to go pick him up. So be by your desk. I mean, I don't know how mad you can get that your husband can't answer the phone at work. I mean, right. Teaching a class or out coaching. Like I don't. Yeah. They just said that they remembered her getting really mad and she had to leave and go get Evan. So she went to get him, finally got a hold of David, and when she got back home, dropped off Evan with David, and Belinda went to finish her school day. Hmm. Yeah. So Belinda left work at approximately 320, uh-huh. and after she left work, she stopped at David's parents' house to pick up some soup for dinner that David's mom, Maureen, had set aside for them, which yeah. I'm sure was amazing. Yeah. You know, any kind of homemade pie and, pie and coffee. They yes. heard that. That Evan was sick and she wanted to have Absolutely. dinner for him. So. Yeah. Then she went home and from there, we don't really know what yeah. the truth is, yeah. but we're going to tell you what we know. Yeah. So the we know that the phone rang at 4.38 p.m. Yeah. at the Temple's house and there was no answer. So by 4.38, David and Evan were not there, and Belinda was presumably dead, or she didn't would have answered the phone. Right. So it really had to have happened somewhere. I think they said she got home. She called David. She had she did have a cell phone, which is interesting, back in 99. They said it was one of those, you know, like huge brick black, phones. Yeah, yeah, brick phones. But she called home at like 3.35-ish, 
and said, I'm on my way. I just left your parents with the soup. I'm on my way. So she probably got home 3.40, 3.45, and by 4.38, no one was answering the phone. Mm-hmm. So they have a pretty good timeline of about an hour there that she right. probably was killed during. So David says that Belinda came home and decided to take a rest. Understandable. She's pregnant. Right. Yep. He So he offered to get Evan out of the house so she could sleep. So remember, Evan was sick. Right. He had come home from daycare just a few hours ago with a fever. Yeah. But David was like, eh, I'll just go wake him up from his nap. Yeah. He's feeling better. He's acting fine. Yeah. I'm just going to get him out of the house. And I can see that going both ways. Right. 100.6, you give him some Tylenol. They wake up and have a snack. And literally, my kids can, like, puke. And then that night, be, like, running around the living room like crazy people. Yeah. So I think that totally goes both ways. Yeah. I, I just don't know. If they gave him Tylenol and he got a good nap, they might have been like, let's get out for a minute. And yeah. Or he really was really sick, and he's David's excuse or yeah. alibi. Nobody really knows. Mm-hmm. I don't think that in and of itself is super telling of anything. Yeah. So so they were seen on video cameras both at a grocery store, because David said that they stopped to pick up at a, a, drink, a drink. At the grocery store, yes, right. and some cat food, and then at Home Depot. So the time between their two stops from looking at the cameras. Right, for their stop at the grocery store to their stop at Home Depot. Uh-huh. It was way too far off for them to have gone just from the grocery store straight to Home Depot. So when asked what David was doing during this time, he said he took Evan to the park. Yeah. Now, again, I get it, like, if your kids are feeling better, but there's one thing to take him out in public to go run some errands. Right. And completely other thing to take him to go the play park. at the park. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wants to do the monkey bars while he's sick with people. Yeah. So initially he told investigators that one park they had, or told them about one park that they had been to. And then when asked later, he told them a different park. Yeah. His story mm-hmm. was kind of sketched for that time period. It was. Right. And so the prosecutor's theory is that during that time period, David was finding a good place to dispose of the murder weapon. But again, that's a total theory. A total theory. Yeah. But uh, I mean. Yeah. Quite possible. What he was yeah. doing. So David gets home about 530 and he finds the front door ajar and glass from the front door broken out. So it had a big window on the front door. The front door is open, and you could see glass, like, when you looked in on the floor, you know, in front of the front door or whatever. So, he sees that, and so he rushes across the street to his neighbor's house. Their name was the Ruggieros, and the Ruggieros liked David, and, I mean, they testified on trial as well, just that they liked him, and he had been a good neighbor, and they had never heard him be, you know, loud or abusive or anything. So, anyway, runs to the Ruggieros, Evan and Toe, the Mr. Ruggiero said that David was super frantic. And said someone had broken in and he threw Evan at Mr. Ruggiero to run back across the street. He didn't want to take Evan into the home. So Mr. Ruggiero said he turned around and thrust Evan at his wife to chase after David to the house. So they also have this really scary dog named Shaka. And everyone said Shaka was like the meanest, baddest dog in all the town. Everybody was terrified of Shaka. And so when Mr. Ruggiero gets there, Shaka's at the front door barking her head off. And he doesn't go in because he's so scared of the dog. And the Mm -hmm. dog kind of comes into play later in trial, too, because they want to know how an intruder got around Shaka, the guard dog who's in the house. So we'll talk more about Shaka later. But anyway, so Mr. Ruggiero does not go in. Can I say something, though? Because this is something that, to me, again... True crime person here. Yeah. Like, my first thought is, would he have normally run to the neighbor's house Uh and said, here, take Evan. 
someone's broken into our house. Because in my opinion, thinking about what people have said about how he's such a big guy, uh -huh. big guy on campus, you don't just, I mean, maybe even leave Evan in the car uh -huh. and go in yourself. Yeah. Like, I don't know. That just, to me, sounds like... I wouldn't have taken a kid in. Like, I think... I know my neighbors well. Like, I feel like I maybe I would do that. But I just think that's stupid to go in. Like, I don't get why he went in. No, no, no. The door is broken and yes. it's wide open. And I have a three-year-old, so I'm going to call 911. Not I'm going to right. go discover her think, myself. I just think it's just weird that he went to the neighbor. I uh -huh. mean, would you have thought to run across the street to the neighbor's house? See, maybe. Maybe. Okay. Maybe. If I was going to go in and didn't want to take my kid, yes, I wouldn't leave him in a car where I thought that the, an intruder might be running out of my house and my That's kid true. was sitting right there. Yeah. So I might Obviously, have. Amy has no kids. Well, no, just but I might. If I knew, I mean, I know like some of my neighbors well, and I might. I just mm -hmm. might. I don't know. But I'm, I think I think weirder is just that he went in at all because everybody says, like, you don't go into a crime scene. You just call the cops. Right. You're getting your DNA. I mean, I think it's stupid of him to go in, but not necessarily weird that he took that into the neighborhood. Yeah. So. David goes upstairs. He goes in, goes upstairs to find Belinda and found her face down in the master closet with a gunshot to her head. So he calls 911 immediately and told them that his wife was dead. And you can Google his 911 call. I think he sounds really distraught in it. I don't think you heard it. I, I've heard it, but it's been a while. Yeah. I'll have to see if we can put it in here. Yeah, we can. Yeah, do. yeah we probably can. Harris County, now, Police Fire Ambulance. Somebody's broken into my, into my wife. Stay on the line for the ambulance, sir. We have a shooting victim. Go ahead, sir. Well, I just walked in. My wife, I believe she's been shot. It's got blood everywhere. Okay, sir, is she breathing? Her brain is on the floor. I think, mm -hmm. I think he sounds distraught. So he calls and he says, my wife is dead. And he mentioned she was eight months pregnant. So the dispatcher told him, you really needed to do CPR on Belinda anyway to try to save the baby's life. Right. And you can kind of hear him stammer on the 911 call and say, I can't. She's just gone. And when the paramedics got to the scene, they said the same thing, that literally half of her face was blown away. 
And so there probably, there was no way to do CPR the way that she was in the condition she was in. There was no way he could have even tried to perform CPR. So he knew she was dead and they said she died instantly with the, with a gunshot wound. So anyway, it's really sad. Terrible. And I mean, being a a dispatcher myself in the past, like, I mean, we would have, I mean, obviously we were not medically trained as far as, you know, doing emergency medical dispatch. Yeah. We would transfer to the ambulance service, but that would be our first concern is the baby. The baby. We, I mean, yeah. If the mom's gone, okay, I'm sorry, but right. we still have another life. That right. Say. Right. You know, that's what they, you know, they tried to do, but Belinda had, I mean, baby Aaron had been gone a long time too. That's sad. I know, horrible. I mean, and we don't really talk about the autopsy in, in here just because it was cut and dried. I mean, she was mm. shot to the head. There was no right. other evidence, you know. But they talk about Aaron and the autopsy, and that's the hardest part. Like the the medical examiner said, he had two kids of his own, and to have to take Aaron out was so traumatic. She was six pounds. I mean, she was a full, yeah, ready to be born, and she would have survived baby. And the medical examiner said he just really never got it for that taking out a fully mm. developed, full size little newborn. That's sad. Oh, and they did test Aaron's blood to make sure Aaron was Belinda's. Some people thought, I wonder if David found out that the baby wasn't his and got really mad at her and didn't want the baby. And so oh. yeah. there was no evidence whatsoever that Belinda had had an affair, but it, that just some people questioned, I wonder if that could have been a thing. Hmm, so interesting. they did test Aaron's blood and she was David's baby. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. Shocker. Yeah. So investigators felt that something was amiss from the time they got to the house. It looks like that it had been a stage burglary. Yeah. Um, you know, you hear that all the time. Oh, yeah. The TV was on its side on the floor. Drawers were open with nothing missing. You know, all the things that would point to a quote-unquote stage, stage burglary. Crazy. Yeah. There was a jewelry case full of jewelry left, as well as a plate with some bold jewelry on it that was in plain view. They also didn't think that David looked as upset as, you know, most people should have. And, Again, we've talked about this before. Yeah. Everybody reacts I, differently. You can't really go off of that. I put that in quotes, as you should have. Just right. Because we, we talk every episode. But the fact that anyone thinks they know how someone should act in such a situation yeah. is arrogant. And if you think you could do better than To me. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So they took David outside. They put him in a police car. And then his parents yeah. got there. When he saw them, he said, quote, we lost the girls. Which is really horrific. Yeah, it's horrific. So there has never been a baby been a baby girl born in the whole Temple family. They Uh had three sons, grandsons, no little girls. I mean, everyone was just bursting with excitement for this baby girl. Yeah, and uh, they knew Belinda had been having some contractions and was real tired. And I mean, again, her baby's six pounds, so she really could go into labor at any point. And Maureen said when the phone rang. And it was evening, and she was hoping it was where that Linda was in labor, and they were yeah. going to get to go meet her granddaughter. And instead, her daughter-in-law and granddaughter were murdered. I mean, yeah. what the tragedy. It, I mean, could you imagine? No, absolutely I mean, whenever not. he told them we lost the girls, his mom started wailing. Yeah, they said she was wailing, I fell just... to the ground, just a basket case. Right. Yeah. So the investigators obviously asked him to go back to one of the substations there in Katy to be interviewed. Obviously, he went with them, yeah. and his parents went along as well yeah. to be interviewed about yeah. what he found. Yeah, just what the day looked like. Yeah. yeah, timeline for the whole day, what what they knew, 
all of that. They also had him sign a consent to search mm-hmm. before he left the house. So he signed a consent so they could search the whole house. And retrospect, they said that they shouldn't have probably taken him to a substation because he was interviewed out in a room, like, surrounded by a bunch of people, and his parents were there, and they said it really should have been in a room with nothing else, just Full kind of an investigator, with a video camera, yeah. with whatever. So, in hindsight, they said it really should not have been done at the substation, which was not, again, videoed, or his parents were listening in, but it was, that was probably a pretty shoddy first interview, but... Right. So during, he's telling investigators the story. And of course, the investigators talked to his mom and dad as well. And they said that Ken kept interjecting while Maureen was talking and was like, don't say that. Or like, I remember. And so the investigators eventually had to tell Ken, like, please be quiet. We're listening to Maureen right now. Like, right. So, but the investigators swore that he heard Maureen say, I just could not have raised a boy who would kill his wife. And I know. So the investigator asked her what she has said, uh, what she just said. Um, the investigator said, oh, I didn't say anything about your son. What What did you just say? And that she and Ken were both like, oh, nothing. And never repeated it. But they, of course, this wasn't videoed and there was no. Right. So it's one of those pieces that was just lost. But interesting. Clearly, if she said it, that her mind even went there. Right. So. Well, and why would the cop have said that she said, I mean, what, yeah. what did he, he get had nothing to gain? Exactly. Yeah. He had nothing to gain. So anyway, it soon became evident, you know, that David was the prime suspect. They had a lawyer, family friend that he kind of lawyered up with right away. And that attorney, he's pretty, he's pretty, not pretty well known, but he is well known. I forget. Oh, he worked on the, I think the OK City bombing case. Oh. Yeah. And he said as soon as he got there, he was like, David, here's the deal. My job is to keep you out of jail or my job is to get you the best sentence possible. But what you can't do is surprise me with anything. So if you tell me you're guilty, I don't care. You're just going to start telling me the facts and we're going to do the best we can. Or you can tell me you're innocent and, you know, I'll believe you. And he said people usually at that point tell me the truth. And he said David was like, I absolutely did not do it. There is no way I did it. I will not say I did it. And end of story. So the the that attorney did think the day was being truthful, but it was a family friend and who knows. Yeah. But. I mean, props to OKC. We should do OKC. Uh-huh. I I did an entire research paper when I was getting my bachelor's degree about quote unquote d- domestic terrorism, Ooh. but most of it was based on Ruby Ridge, Waco, and then OKC. Yes. Timothy. Mc- I mean, this yeah. is totally sidetracked, y'all. Yeah. Sorry, tangent, but. Timothy McVeigh was really upset about Ruby Ridge and how that was handled. And then was obviously, I mean, he was in Waco and yeah. the Waco siege happened. And then the bombing happened on the same day. Right. Uh-huh. And so, Columbine happened on the same day. It was going to, but it was the next day. Remember? Oh, it was? Yeah. Cause I think the the exact same day was a Sunday. Uh, so they were going to do it on Monday. Gotcha. I gotcha. Think. Yeah. Or maybe it was Friday. I don't remember. Yeah, but anyway, yeah. Very, very close. All related. All related. So, but, so yeah, the lawyer said, just don't surprise me with any evidence, but tell me. And he said, I'm I'm innocent, I'm innocent, I'm innocent. So, and that made me think of the Matt and Carrie Baker case. Yes. When Matt's attorney said, just don't surprise me with anything. And then the bombshell came out about the the affair that Matt was having with Amber. Mm. What was her? 
I'm, I'm probably thinking of Amber Fry. Anyway, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Again, the kind of young blonde bombshell mm-hmm. that all these men seem to have affairs with. But anyway, and that came out. And after that, the attorney, like, never even talked him out again. He tried to quit the case, and they wouldn't let him quit the case. and Because mm-hmm. his carnal rule was just, don't let me get surprised with any hard evidence that right. you, you didn't tell me about. And side note, I know we've said this before. We're not ever going to cover the Carrie Baker story yes. on our podcast or the Darling Gentry story. However, Catherine Casey, yeah. oh, who is yes. one of our favorite authors and wrote Shattered about David Temple and Belinda Temple, also wrote, I think it's called Deadly Little Secrets. Yes. And it's the Matt and Carrie Baker story. Yes. It's definitely worth a read. Both of these reads are yes. fantastic. She is a phenomenal yeah. true crime author. Yes. She's right up there with Anne Rule. And Anne yes. Rule, in my she opinion. She is. And Anne Rule really liked Catherine Casey and yes. wrote, like, some of her forewords and some of her right. recommendations before she passed. So, Catherine Casey reminds me a lot of Anne Rule. Yes. Yes. So, yeah, there you go. So, he did not, you know, have any real change of story or anything for this attorney. But as the attorney is interrogating him, he does ask about any extramarital affairs. And he does complain right then about Heather because he knows that's going to come out. And he's not going to, you know, let his lawyer get snowed with it. So he starts to talk about Heather. So initially he just says, we've been talking, you know, we're more than friends, but mostly it was just flirtatious. And then later he comes out and admits that he had sex with her and that they were having an affair. So, I mean, it's the oldest story in the book. Yeah. Having an affair with a young hot thing and wife turns up dead. So this comes up, he, he tells them about it. But he maintains that he loved Belinda. He knew what he was doing with wrong. He never was going to leave Belinda. It was just kind of about sex sex and infatuation. Mm -hmm. But he would have never left his family. Well, and I mean, I can also imagine, and I mean, you see it and you hear about it in other cases where this man that's this, you know, older man. Absolutely. This young hot thing is into me. Heck yeah, I'm gonna. Well, I'm in this know. town and in every town. Yes. Doctors. My mom was mm-hmm. a nurse for forty years, and she was like, "Doctors were the worst. All the like oh, young hot nurses, and they had so much power over them to uh-huh. tell them to like do X, Y, Z." So gross. But anyway, yes. yeah. But anyway, his family, of course, is horrified to hear about this affair Mm -hmm. but because they adored Belinda but they still believed they said clearly that he would never do anything to physically harm Belinda again his mom maybe suspected something or was concerned about it but the whole family publicly says we believe David 100% what he was doing was terrible but there's no way he hurt her which is understandable it's your family right of course. Yeah. Uh, any family generally will stick up for someone and just want to believe that they're being honest. Even if deep down they're afraid he's not, you're going to want to believe the best yeah. about your kid. You're going you're gonna to be deaf, you know. Yeah. You're just going to want to believe the best. So they tried to believe the best or did believe the best. So, of course, though, at this point, all around Katie, the rumor mill is spinning. Can you yeah. imagine? And by and large, I mean, many of her friends some teachers that David worked with, people at daycare, by and large, most people heard when they heard Belinda was murdered, they said they knew David did it. So right. that's Which telling. Is, it is very telling. And you know, when we talked about earlier when you were talking about how she had told some of her coworkers that they had been having problems, yeah. it made me think of Susan Cox, which is a yes. but I just don't even think we can do Susan Susan Cox because of cult. 
Have you heard oh of Cult? Oh my gosh. That is one of the Literally, best possibly the best podcast yes. I've ever listened to is Cold. Yes. And if you guys know the Susan Cox case, or even if you don't know the Susan po- Powell Cox case, uh, Susan Cox Powell case, please download and listen to Cold. It is phenomenal. Amazing. And so I feel like we would do just a huge disservice yes. to the case because Cold is so good. Yes, and after y'all listen, make sure you tell us because I have a rant about the dispatcher, and I would love to talk about it. Oh, the dispatcher when the kids get murdered. Yes, and the, yeah, yes. yeah. Uh-huh. I have a major rant about that. Mm-hmm. So y'all I'm just sure let me do. know. Yeah, I'm sure you do. So, but oh, but it reminds you of that case just because you know Susan had told some of her coworkers things aren't going yep. well. Now she did go as far as saying made if videos. something happens, yes, yeah, she made videos. But even went as far as saying if something happened, it was him. It was him. Yeah. She had a secret safe deposit box yes. that only her coworkers yes. knew about that had the videos in it that had extra yes. important information. And so whenever you were talking about how her her coworkers, she had talked to them. Yes, and they all necessarily, yeah. hey, if he kills me, this yeah, is Yeah, she wasn't worried. About but that, it made but me think of that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so I mean, by and large, around town, most people thought that it was David once right. they heard that. So while investigating David, though, another suspect emerges in the form of a boy named Riley Joe Sander. He is a neighbor of the Temples, and he's known at Katie High as a pot smoker and a compulsive truant. But here's my thing. We have to go back to what we said at the beginning. Like, just because David was a hothead or whatever doesn't make him a killer. So on this point Riley Joe right. Sander just because he was a pot smoker and a truant doesn't mean that right. he's a killer you right. know? absolutely the the motive that they thought Riley Joe could have was that Belinda had been to the house a couple of times she went to the house to complain about Riley Joe's music once it was too loud and then she went to the house once to let them know to say he was he was truant again and he's fixing to be sent to an alternative school so some people thought that Riley Joe didn't like Belinda because mm-hmm. she kind of like tattled on him a lot to his parents. So, but I mean, if she wasn't going to do it, somebody else was. Sure, absolutely, absolutely. Anyway, Belinda had you know been to their house a couple times and maybe tattled on Riley Joe or whatever. And so people thought, you know, just could that have been a motive? Mm-hmm. So he also lied about where he was about the time of the murder. So he told investigators that he had stayed late at school that day. And real quick, it got found out that he had skipped that day. So they became more suspicious because he was lying to him. Yeah. So later, a 12-gauge shotgun is found in the area that they're searching. But, you know, they were searching kind of between that Home Depot and that Berkshire Brothers. And they did find a 12-gauge, which is... Oh, I was just going to say, I'm sorry. I don't think we mentioned it, but that's what she had been shot Yes. She was killed with a 12-gauge shotgun. Yes. And further than that, it was one that only used something called double-aught buckshot, Mm -hmm. which is apparently not the norm, kind of a more... Right. It's like, it's very, very powerful. Yes. I mean, I don't know that much about them. I just remember what my ex told me. Yes. And like, I mean, it is significantly more powerful than just... A regular... A regular shotgun shell. Yeah. Anyway, so this 12 gauge is found while they're searching these rice fields and stuff, and they were able to trace it back to one of Riley Joe's friends' deaths, which was interesting. When they realized whose it was and that there was a connection to Riley Joe, that was really interesting. And then Riley Joe's dad also owned two 12 gauges, which he admitted Riley Joe had full access to, and one of those shot double O. 
buckshot as well. Buck, okay. Double ought buckshot as well. So they did test those all those shotguns to see if there was any you know, blood spatter or anything that matched anything at the crime scene. And there was not, but he did at least have access to double O double ought buckshot and 12 gauge shotguns. So then Riley Joe fails a polygraph. He actually ends up failing three polygraphs and at polygraph four, his family won't let him take any more polygraphs because they said they're starting to traumatize him and he's going to continue failing him. Right. So, but he, well, it, and it could, there could have been, a legit reason, like not even that he was lying about what happened. Yeah. What if he had a nervous tick? Yeah. What if, you know, or lying about marijuana, yeah. or did have you ever stolen a gun? Not necessarily right. murdered her, but he did continue. He did continue to fail polygraph tests, and they also polygraphed several of Riley Joe's friends, including the one who stole his dad's shotgun, and they also all failed polygraphs. So that was compelling, and that will also come up again when we talk about the trials. That continues to be a compelling story and one that at least might present reasonable doubts. But at the end of the day, there was no evidence tying any of these teenagers to the scene or any forensic evidence tying them to this crime. So basically, you know, more evidence dribbles in, but David is not arrested at this time. Yeah. They... He started dating Heather about a month after the murders. They came out dating publicly. so that's And it was very public. I mean, yeah. they announced it yeah. from the rooftop. Stepped out. And one month, too. I mean, one month, that body is barely in the ground. I know. It's so, so warm. So, and they were married in June 2001, about a year and a half after the murders. So that's where we're going to stop today. It's not really the end of the story. Right. There's so Spoiler. <laughs> Spoiler alert. But that is where we're going to stop today. We both have tons to do, so we're going to stop there. But don't forget all of our social medias, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I think we're done. We're signing off. But get ready for the next episode. It gets interesting. It does. Have a good one. Bye.